Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So tonight we begin a series of three talks on the meaning of taking refuge in the Buddha's Dhamma. Um, what refuge means in this context, and it means something different in the Buddhist context and in most of modern Buddhism, um, is that we refuge is a, uh, is a place of safety and comfort. And so we take comfort and an acknowledgement of the safety in understanding that a human being did just this and actually awakened. There's no, there's no comfort or safety could be taken in the belief that some supernatural creature did this because we can't. What good is it? There's no refuge that could possibly be taken in the notion that it's, it, it takes supernatural abilities or to have those abilities granted to you before you could develop the Dhamma. It's just a hurtful teaching. Um, and then the second refuge is we take refuge in what that awakened human being actually taught, which means that the only possible refuge is finding and practicing what he actually taught. That's true refuge. And the third refuge is taking refuge in the Sangha. We, we learned in the last Saturday Sutta, the Upada Sutta, the single importance of a well-focused and well-informed Sangha. Excuse me. And so that last jewel, the, the refuge, the true jewel of the Sangha, is just that. It's a well-informed and well-focused sangha. Um, the best way I can give to, to um, as a, an example of this, I used to go to Hawaii quite often. And in the um, ancient times, well, not that ancient, but uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, uh, the, the Hawaiian islands were populated by dozens of different kingdoms. I mean, sometimes there are literally hundreds, but... Uh, throughout history, there are at least dozens, and even on Big Island, one island alone, there were usually four or five until Kamehameha, that's why he was called Kamehameha the Great, united all the islands. But he didn't do it through a democratic process, he did it by conquering them. And these were very bloody. I mean, the, the ancient Polynesians were probably some of the most bloodiest people on the planet, but that doesn't mean they were bloodier than, than others. They were, you know, human beings have a very bloody history. The refuge was, and the brilliance, even during that bloody history, uh, Hawaiian history was, that during times of conflict all over the islands, they would set up these, these um, isolated and protected areas called city of refuge. Um, Honauna was one on the big island that I was very uh, fond of just because I used to go there. It was so beautiful. And what these were were places that, that during times of, of conflict, those that had enough, they were at the breaking point, could leave behind the conflict and find their way to these cities of refuge. And they would stay there for, for the duration of the conflict, at which time they could be, leave and they'd be repatriated back into the society. Um, think about that. They, they, even during this blood, bloody time in human history, they had enough wherewithal to understand that some human beings simply can't take it. Let's provide them a refuge. And it, it, is, it is in that understanding that the Buddha provided a refuge from a world in conflict, and a world that he knew would always be in conflict until it awakened to, for a noble truth. So, that being said, 
the Ratana Sutta. At this time in the city of Vasali, there was widespread famine and spreading disease. There were many dead bodies, as the conditions overwhelmed the, abil the ability to properly dispose of these bodies. The local citizens sought out the Buddha's help, who was nearby in Rajagaha. The Buddha arrived in Vasali a short time later with a large number of monks, including Ananda. Just before the Buddha's arrival, torrential rains helped the situation somewhat by clearing, cleaning the landscape of rotting corpses uh, and clearing the air uh, with the rains. So um, what comes next is a very important Dhamma teaching, and it's entirely practical. In fact, it's a teaching on the practicality of the Dhamma. And it's a teaching on we cannot overlook, excuse me, we cannot overlook our own humanity if we hope to understand our own humanity. Let me read it. Prior to his presenting this discourse, he instructed his attending, his attending monks to walk through the city and do what they could to ease the physical sufferings of the citizens and to individually present this, that teaching. So what the Buddha is saying here is that it's just as important as that we address our physical needs as it is that we address our so-called spiritual needs. Of course, there's nothing spiritual about the Buddha's Dhamma. But these practical things that some people might uh, attach that the spiritual attribute to um, is just as important as getting good exercise, eating well, and sleeping well, which is what the Buddha said. The Buddha said every human being has four requirements. Good clothing, good shelter, uh, good food, good, cl good clothing, good shelter, good medicine, and good clothing. Or adequate, I should probably use that word instead of good. Which means the Buddha is not teaching some type of aesthetic uh, establishment in the world. He's saying, take, me, take mindful choices, make mindful choices about the food you eat. Understand that everybody needs clothes at times. This was also a counter into the common... Uh, um, nudity cults of his time that people thought that if you just discarded everything including your clothes well that's kind of a guarantee to awaken the Buddha tried it didn't work food clothing everybody needs shelter and everybody occasionally needs medicine or the right herbs at the formal teaching the Buddha then presented a way to bring true refuge from the stress and suffering of the world and to put an end to all dukkha all suffering the Buddha's words May all beings assembled have peace of mind. May all beings assembled listen mindfully to these words. These words are just as applicable 2,600 years ago as they are today. It's just as if the Buddha was speaking. May you all radiate. Look, look at what he starts with. If we really are concerned about establishing peace in the world, it's up to us. May you all radiate goodwill and loving kindness to, to all who offer help and understanding to you. Make this a reciprocal, a reciprocal thing. The help that you need, if you want it, offer it first to others. If you want refuge, offer refuge. What does that mean to someone who is at the end of a brutal period like this? How do you offer refuge? The only thing that they had to offer was a mindful presence. And that's what he's instructing them. Offer this to those that are offering you help now. Be present for them. Understand this, there is no more precious jewel, no more refuge, no more comfort than the Buddha. Imagine this with a Buddha sitting in front of you. What is he saying? 
Look at the context, the context of the situation. He's saying there's no more comfort to you than to have an awakened human being in your midst. Why? Because he can tell you how to do it. That's all that he's saying. He's not saying it so that you worship him or think that this is some kind of magical moment because a Buddha is in front of you. In fact, what he's saying is it is the most ordinary thing to have a Buddha sitting in front of you and telling you how to do the same. That's human life. The Buddha continues in, 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 that, main, in that vein, describing that. As woodland groves in the early heat of summer... I've got to say that again. As woodland groves in the early heat of summer are crowned with blossoming flowers, so is a sublime dhamma leading to the common peace of nirvana. Listen to it again. As woodland groves in the early heat of summer are crowned with blossoming flowers, so is a true sublime dhamma leading to the common peace of nirvana, meaning of the awakened state. It's just like that. All that you have to do is practice it. There's nothing else. The peerless and excellent awakened one, referring to himself, the teacher of true understanding, the teacher of the noble path is the Buddha, the one who has awakened. It makes sense. He, the Buddha is saying, if you want to awaken yourself, listen to someone who has already done it, which is also implying there's, no, there's nothing of value of listening to those that haven't. And those that haven't practiced the, Buddha Dhamma, the Buddha's Dhamma could not possibly have awakened to the Buddha's Dhamma. There is no more precious jewel than the teachings of the Buddha, his Dhamma. Understanding this brings true liberation and freedom. The Buddha, calm and mindful, has experienced the cessation of clinging and desire. The deathless state of nirvana has been attained. The deathless state. Notice the Buddha is not teaching... Um, legs hurt. The Buddha is not teaching immortality here, although everybody, most people will take that misunderstand it entirely. The deathless state doesn't imply immortality, does it? But say, oh, the Buddha's teaching us how to be immortal. Let's do that. We can live forever. That's the essence of ignorance, isn't it? Because the Buddha said we've got to do it in this lifetime, one lifetime. We've got to do it now. The deathless simply refers to that the living death of ignorance. And once the ignorance is gone, it's like we are finally alive for the first time. That's the deathless state, being free of ignorance. Because he always referred to living in ignorance as like li the living death of ignorance. The deathless state of nirvana or awakening has been attained. The Buddha teaches a noble path that unfailingly, unfailingly, brings concentration, liberation, and freedom. There is no more precious jewel than the Buddha's Dhamma. The Buddha continues, and there is no more precious jewel than the Sangha. Understanding this brings liberation and freedom. The virtuous one, ones who bring the Dhamma, they are the jewel of the Sangha, meaning your teachers. Those with steadfast minds, free of clinging, they are the jewel of the Sangha, meaning the other ones of our Sangha that are open to developing the Dhamma. Those that understand with wisdom the Four Noble Truths, they are the jewel of the Dhamma. He's describing each and every one of you that develop understanding of the Four Noble Truths. Those that gain true, true insight into the, the three marks of existence and abandon self-delusion, doubt and indulgence in meaningless rites and rituals, look at most of modern Buddhism, they are the jewel of the, of the Sangha. 
Those beyond despair, those beyond despair and evil doings, they are the jewel of the Sangha. Beyond despair and evil doings. Imagine that. And the Buddha is not teaching that in a way that's unattainable. He just told us, you get it now. Practice the Dhamma, this is what you get. Those whose understanding arises from the support of the Sangha, who can no longer, no longer conceal the truth for themselves, due to the Sangha, they are the precious jewel of the Sangha. We, do, we talk about this in every class. We talk about how so-and-so said something last class and it helped me all week. Or I remember when David said something three weeks ago and it inspired my teaching. And each and every one of us has helped each and every one of the other members of our Sangha in just that way. Those whose karma is extinguished, the future of no concern with rebirth ending due to the support of the Sangha, this is the precious jewel of the Sangha, meaning those that bring the path to the culmination and share it with each other, they are the jewel of the Sangha. Thank you all. That's the Ritana Sutta. I hope this Sutta um, got across that message that the one thing that, the, that successful Dhamma practice hinges on is that it be on Dhamma practice, period. And if it is, as the Buddha teaches us here, the, the end is assured. So, thank you. Let's go online first and we'll uh, see how, you, how you're doing, what you think. Jane, how are you tonight? Jane is so well said. Amanda, let me say that at any time in our uh, that you're coming to our class, nobody ever has to speak. So don't feel any pressure that if you just like to say I'm glad to be or not to say anything, but you could feel free to pass. But we'd like to hear what you have to say. How was your first class with us? Um, um well first I want to say it's um it's Jane, correct? Just because I see the name. Yes, yeah. Yes, that's my alter ego. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Um, well, first I want to say, um, you know, thank you. I, I appreciate um, your words and, and everything. And, um, that, you know, that was really nice that um, you took the time to say that to me. So thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm definitely newer to this practice. Um, you know, I've really learned about it kind of um, through my dad, who's Michael. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, I've just had, like, just different discussions with him about it and learned about it. And, um I um, sat in on one class a few weeks ago. Oh, that's right, yeah. And so um, it's definitely something that, um, you know, I'm interested in. And, um, you know, I feel like I'm definitely still kind of learning and processing it and kind of like putting it all together. But um, I think it's really interesting and I feel very um, fortunate, to, you know, to be introduced to it and to, um, to be able to, to come to um, your class. You know, I live in Staten Island, but... 
um, it's really great that um, an option to do this is Zoom. So thank yeah. you everyone for, you know, like welcoming me and everything. It, it feels good to be here. <laughs> It feels good to have you here too, Amanda. Again, welcome to our sangha. Uh, if if you could keep coming, and I hope you do, you'll hear me say this over and over again. Be very gentle with yourself. It's a key to developing the Dhamma. Be gentle with yourself and your Dhamma practice. Don't judge yourself harshly or your development of the Dhamma. All that it requires is to, again, be part of the sangha and follow direction. Uh, and that's, I guess that's the part that takes a little while, is really learning exactly what it is. But that's what these classes are for. That's what the website is for. So again, uh, I encourage you to go to the website, listen to the guided meditations. Uh, I would start with five minutes twice a day and then gradually add, uh, add minutes that way and come to as many classes as you can. And again, always feel free to, to send me an email if you have any questions or confusion. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Welcome to our sangha. And, uh, might as well keep it in the family. Hey, Michael, thank you for bringing Amanda along. <laughs> Thank you, Amanda. Oh, no problem. <laughs> hey, Michael. Am I okay now? Can you hear yep, me? Yep, you're good. Yeah. All right. Maybe some, some people prefer I do be muted. <laughs> no, no, no. We <laughs> miss you. Everybody said, what happened to Michael and Julia? I, you know, life occurs, and yeah. we get caught up in the, uh, you know, some entangled entanglements, and uh, we're slowly... Uh, Shutting our, making our way through it, navigating our way through it, uh, and Good. practicing the Dhamma in the meantime. Um, I enjoy, I enjoy this, uh, this sutta. It's short, but there's so much, so much, so much into it. Uh, if you read between the lines, um, how do you find that? How do you find that place that you know uh, the refuge within yourself? Uh, obviously, the sangha is a great place to to be because it. It really feeds into that uh, to find that that you know the refuge in time of stress and suffering, and it you know for me it, it causes me to become very introspective yeah. uh, in relation to what is occurring as it occurs. So <laughs> I recognize something myself that occurs with me and. Uh, uh, it's generally it generally makes itself known in the form of feelings as they arise and for feelings arise all the time and there's no way we can't as human beings going through human life we really can't like stop feelings from occurring we're not just supposed to annihilate them yeah right, right? they're going to be there so what do we do when they do occur well i came to the understanding that any feeling that arises, uh, you know, comes from us exp our uh, experiencing something that is occurring in the present moment, or you know, whether it's mentally or in an actual reality that we're here with. But I realize that the feel is once we attach ourselves to any of these feelings, that's where dukkha begins, and yep. the, ex the experience becomes dukkha. The feelings are going to arise, and we know that the feeling arises and passes away. Uh, but once we attach ourselves, that's given rise to dukkha. Yep. So, right there and then, just uh, you know, having the skillful recognition at that particular moment can 
can keep us from going further along the line of like, again, dependent origination and going into that cycle of, uh, you know, uh, rebirth and death. So that's what I got out of that. And uh, thank you for the teaching, John. Outstanding, Michael. You're right. Your dad's a pretty good teacher, huh, Amanda? Oh, you got to say that, so. <laughs> How are you, Brian? Good, sir. Thank you for this teaching. I, I found it interesting. I, I read it, and it didn't really jump out, but when I heard you read it, how much emphasis he put on the Sangha versus the Buddha versus the Dhamma, and it was Sangha, 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 yeah. Sangha. And, you know, just before I, before I came here, you know, yeah, it's tough to figure the stuff out on your own. Like you just, you're in a vacuum. And I, you know, I still feel like that even now outside of our sessions that, you know, there's, there's not a lot of people that you can interact with and engage with and have these conversations that don't look at you like you're lopsided or something. So, um, you know, the, the, the refuge is, has become a real thing for me. And again, yeah. thank you for uh, thank you, Brian. I, I was speaking with one of our other future teachers this afternoon, and they were, he was talking about um, this development of a, a kind of annoying loneliness that's developing as he develops the, his, his Dhamma practice. And uh, I mean, I remember going through that, and everybody I've taught that gets to a certain point talks about that in one way or another. And what I pointed out to him is that a person that using the word that Michael was using attached to all these external things. Uh, it, it's hard to feel alone just because you're constantly distracted. But as you start developing the Dhamma and cast off, cast off some of these distractions, it can feel rather lonely. But that's the, that's the visceral experience, or maybe I should say it this way, loneliness would be the label or applying the visceral experience of developing seclusion, which is what we should be doing as part of Dhamma practice. So we get to the point where... Um, and it's a good check on your own dollar practice. Are you okay with just sitting quietly without having something going on? That's a good sign. Can you sit with someone that you're, that you're familiar with without having a constant idle chatter going on? That's a good sign that you're developing the Dhamma. So it is just, just this way. The, the, the Dhamma practice, the eight factors of the Dhamma practice both inform our Dhamma practice and can help frame it. In other words, am I engaged in right speech right now or etc etc it's just that way so thank you brian david how are you tonight good john it's the practical nature that the buddha sent out the sangha to provide relief and what the people that were in need saw were a well-focused sangha yep formed by the teachings of the buddha and the example of the buddha so, in a gentle way, he was. That was a teaching. Oh yeah. To the people in need that were in pain. Yeah. And then his his teaching again was all about being within white right view and true cessation of suffering that they control is by practicing. Yeah. So. So very often it's. You fight the, the the mystical parts that can creep in, and then there's something very practical like, yeah. like this teaching. So thank you. Yeah, thank you again. It's a good point there. The, the even um, 
even being mindful of the practicality of the Buddha's Dhamma, it, it, it can happen that, that we start grasping after some mystical aspects here and there. Uh, especially as it starts the inference of what awakening actually means, which is why the Buddha taught it too. There's nothing uh, magical about developing a calm and peaceful mind. In fact, it's what we should all want. Hello, Ram. Yeah, this is a really telling sutta on, on how the Buddha kind of operates. Um, because what he walked into was, was a fairly common occurrence. Um, the monsoons were late, and these people had been suffering into the hot season, um, running out of food, running out of water, disease comes in, and but that was not an unknown thing. Mm. This, this happened, you know, once every decade, once yeah. every two decades. Um, so he comes in there with his sangha, and offers the physical help and then he sits them all down and he offers his his true jewels he offers understanding of their suffering and while while holding out the the third jewel as an example yes and yeah. he's he's and he's showing them right there like yeah. this is this is how you also can, yeah, can develop understanding of your suffering. This is what I did. Yeah, because he's saying, "Look here, look here, yeah, look here, here, here. Yeah. I am the example here. Yeah. This is what you can be, yeah. and I have my my teachings to offer you, and I show you the example also of the sangha, which is what keeps all of us going." Uh, and developing our understanding yeah. of our own suffering. This yeah. is what I'm giving you. These three jewels. Um, it's it's a wonderful sutta. Yeah, it really is. Thank you, Ron. Good evening, Brett. <clears throat> good evening. Good to be here. Um, thank you for your teaching, and uh, thank you for everybody else's teaching in the sound yeah. tonight. It's good to hear everybody's uh, take on everything, and um, we're getting a lot from that. So good to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to have you here. Good evening, Barbara. Glad you're here. Thank you. Um, I don't know. I had kind of a hard time with the whole concept of refuge because there seem like there's so many ills. You know, I can see the um, Sangha and the Buddha and the Dhamma giving you know, a respite, but I, I, I don't know about refuge. You mean from the, all the troubles in the world? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's... It, it, you're bringing up a good point. How can we? And I, I hear that a lot too. In fact, I've had people stop Dhamma practice because they say there's too much going on in the world. How could I possibly do something? Even using the words, it seems so selfish to sit and meditate for a few minutes. When the, when the answer is really, or the solution to the world's ills is, I think, just this. That we're much better equipped to deal with all the things in the world when we've established the refuge of the Dhamma. So using that word refuge means that we're, we're establishing a quality of mind that is no longer affected, but deeply concerned at the same time about what's going on in the world. So there's some people that think that I'm aloof because, because I don't lose my mind over things like I used to. But it, it's the only way I can be. I don't, I don't lose my mind over things so you won't see it happen. If that's what you, and I'm not saying this is you, but many people take um, an exaggerated behavior as proof of, sincer- of sincere behavior when it's really not. It's trying to cover something up that you don't have. 
You, in other words, you act much more compassionate than you really own yourself. And so nobody knows that. The only way to really live in the world and not be deeply affected by it is through the Dhamma. And in that way, we can be much more effective in, and uh, um, in, in being, if we establish ourselves in that refuge, then we can be that much more of a refuge to the world, however you put that. But thank you, Barb. I also understand you don't quite see it. It's a common concern that the world is so messed up how can I take to the Dhamma? Or how can it even be true in that way? That that uh, How can a human being actually develop a calm and peaceful mind when all this is going on in the world? There's no difference now than there was 2,600 years ago. That's kind of the point of four noble truths. They're, they're noble in the sense that they're truths throughout time. They span even impermanence in that sense. I hope that helps. Anyway. So, um, wow, what a good class. Like I said, this is the first of three uh, the Dijaga Sutta and the Kalama Sutta are coming up in this context. So uh, I look forward to hearing our other two teachers on this subject. Uh, and uh, I'll be teaching the Thursday classes these next couple of weeks. So, so if you want to, if you can't uh, stand and be without me, you can find me on <laughs> Thursday afternoons at 2 o'clock. Uh, and then I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, there's not, and only, the only reason I'm saying that is the only other time I've missed teaching uh, is when I got hurt. I'm not hurt, there's nothing going on, I'm not sick. I, I do have a tryout with the Yankees, and that's the only one. I'm just kidding about that. Uh, I, in fact, now if the Yankees called, I wouldn't go. Uh, but that's it. Um, are you going to say something, Rob? No, I was just asking if you were sure. That, uh, yes, after, after, call, after what Major League Baseball did this year, I don't I haven't watched a ball game, or I, I haven't watched professional sports in over two years now. I don't intend to go back. I don't, I don't need... There's enough politics in the world without having it come out in sports, so. Okay, and this, that's, that, that's exactly what Siddhartha would do. He would turn the TV off and stay away from professional sports. Uh, and these are his words on meta. When a mind becomes troubled, uh, this is what we do. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in, your way, in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud of demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise will later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class tonight. Thank you, John. Peace.
Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.